Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible as well as your prayer requests, and we have pastors standing by every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time to answer those calls, to pray for your prayer requests on the air, and to answer any questions you have about God and the Bible, living out the Christian faith uh, today in your life. Maybe maybe there are difficult situations you're facing, and you're wondering, what does the Bible have to say about them? Maybe you're wondering what the Bible has to say about current events going on in the world, or maybe you've just been reading the Bible and you're unsure about understanding a particular passage or section. Well, that's what this show is all about. We have pastors standing by ready to answer those questions you have and to pray for your prayer requests live on the air. So the number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, the text line is 720-336-0897. I want to welcome those of you who are listening in Colorado and in Wyoming on Grace FM. We also want to welcome those listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. We want to welcome those listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and those listening on Radio by Grace with stations all over the United States, especially in the southern U.S., Furthermore, greetings to those listening on Higher Rock Radio in Idaho, and we want to not forget those who are listening online. There are several places where you can do that, uh, not to say the least of which, which is gracefm.com, which is where you can go. You can listen to that, and there's also a great Grace FM app where you can listen to this, and you can do that anywhere um, in the world, actually. And so greetings to our listeners who are listening um, overseas, perhaps, or in parts of the United States where we're not broadcasting over the air. Welcome, and we're so glad that you have the opportunity to do this. So amazing to see how God is growing this listening family of Calvary Live listening stations. So welcome to all of you, wherever you're tuning in from today. Uh, today, for those of you listening live, today is January 6th. It is a Friday, and I'm glad to be with you. I'll introduce myself to you in just a moment, but just a heads up that those listening on radio, or sorry, on Higher Rock Radio, on Hope FM, and on Truth FM. You're hearing the show on a one-week delay, so we just want you to know that, be aware of it, but we never want it to hinder you from calling in with your questions and your prayer requests. Uh, but for those of you listening on Grace FM, on the Grace FM app, and gracefm.com, as well as those listening on the Radio by Grace network of stations, you're hearing the show live today. Uh, my name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And I am your host here every Friday on Calvary Live. And uh, with this being the first show of the season, first Friday show of the season, I'm glad to be with you. I'm actually doing this show live today in the Grace FM studio in Aurora. Usually I do it from 
our church in Longmont, but uh, exciting to be here with the crew who runs the show, makes it all happen down here at the Grace FM studio in Aurora. So again, my name is Nick Cady, and I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church. We're a Calvary Chapel church located in Longmont, Colorado. Uh, I've been pastoring there for just over 10 years. Prior to that, I was a missionary and a pastor in Hungary, in Europe. I spent over 10 years living in Europe, um, ministering and pastoring over there. And now I've been here in Colorado for 10 years. I grew up in Colorado, and uh, was it's nice to be back where I grew up and enjoy living here and all that uh, the state has to offer, especially this time of year. It's my favorite time of year, personally, uh, with the ski season and all that going on. And so... Hope that uh, you are blessed and safe and warm wherever you're located. And, um, you know, for any of you who are listening and you're looking for a church, I'd love to personally invite you to come and join us for what God's doing at our church in Longmont. If you're within driving distance, we'd love to have you come up. We have two Sunday morning services at 9.15 and 11 a.m. You can find directions and all that good information as well as listen to some of our messages on our website. That's whitefieldschurch.com. So that's whitefieldschurch.com. And you can go there. Uh, this Sunday, we are actually starting a new series for um, for the new year. Last week, instead of uh, kicking right off into a new series, since it was January 1st, we did one week talking about the topic of like who we are as a church, who God call, has called us to be, and really excited about getting into this new series that's starting this Sunday. We're going to be studying the Pastoral Epistles, which is a group of three letters written by the Apostle Paul. They are 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And as we study those letters, a big focus of our study is going to be talking about how God wants to equip us to be ministering and serving to other, serving others. So the title of the series is Equipped to Serve, and yet it's really interesting, you know, reading First Timothy, that First Timothy is primarily a letter which isn't as much about equipping people to serve. That That's kind of the background, like it does talk about that for sure. But really the big focus of First Timothy is about how the gospel, the true gospel, as opposed to false teaching, leads to real transformation in our lives. And actually that's what I... Um, that's what I was sharing about this past Sunday at our church, which was about this topic of gospel culture, how our good gospel doctrine needs to shape the culture of our church, of our families, and even of our lives individually into actually um, transforming us into the image of Christ. And you know, there's a famous author named Francis Schaeffer, and he talked about it like this. He said that there's two levels of orthodoxy, if you will. There's one level of orthodoxy, which we might call orthodoxy of doctrine, you know, orthodoxy meaning the true faith. And so there's orthodoxy of doctrine, which means that you believe the right things. But then he said there's also orthodoxy of practice or of transformation. And that means that the things that you believe are actually having an effect on your life and transforming your life in a visible way. And he said that both of those need to be uh, need to be present. He said, if you look at the New Testament letters, you'll notice that so much emphasis is placed first on what we believe and then how what we believe needs to shape us as individuals and shape us in our churches and things like that. So yeah, if, you, if you're interested in that topic of gospel culture, check out our message from this past Sunday. You can do that at our website, whitefieldschurch.com, or you can join us for this upcoming series, which will delve into a lot of that. It's called Equipped to Serve, starting this Sunday at Whitefields Community Church in Longmont. Uh, for those of you who, are, who know the area, our church is located right on Highway 119, which is the main highway from I-25 
down through Longmont and into Boulder. So we're really uh, well located for those uh, both in Longmont and in the surrounding community. So commuters have a good time getting to our church from uh, really all directions. You know, we have a lot of people who come from the north up into like Berthoud, Mead, Loveland, those who come from the east, like Frederick, Firestone, Dakono, uh, those who come from the south, like Thornton, Erie, uh, Lafayette, that area, and also, of course, those who come from the West, like Boulder, Niwot, Lyons, and into Pinewood, even Estes Park. So if you are in any of those areas or you would love to visit with us and worship with us, we'd love to have you. Again, more information available on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. Well, as our calls are coming in, um, we're going to get to those in just a second, but let me make sure that you have the number to call with your Bible questions and your prayer requests. The number to call is 303 303- Six nine zero three thousand. That's three zero three six nine zero three thousand. Or you can text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. Once again, the text line is seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. Let's go over to our text line as we're waiting for these calls to come in. This first person writes and they say, uh, "This is kind of a dumb question." And I'm going to tell you right up front: this is not a dumb question. It's a great question. Um, and yeah, never, never feel shy about asking questions about the Bible, but here's the question. Do you think there will be sex in heaven? I know there is no marriage in heaven, but will we also be repopulating the new heavens and the new earth? What do you think? So my answer to that is that I actually do not believe that there will be sex in heaven. I'll give you a few reasons why. Uh, the first one, as you mentioned, there will be no marriage. And okay, so first of all, the Bible knows nothing of marriage outside of, or sorry, sex outside of marriage. Now, obviously, what I mean by that is that the Bible knows that some people have sex outside of marriage, and it addresses that. Actually, in First Timothy, the passage I'm teaching this coming Sunday, it addresses that idea of adultery right there. And so, yeah, we call that adultery. It's considered sin. Um, and my point is that the Bible knows no design for sex apart from marriage. So sex is meant to be a vital part of marriage. Now, since there will be no marriage in heaven, as Jesus directly talks about, he says, we'll be like the angels in heaven and uh, no one will be getting married in heaven. Now, along with that, the reason why there's no marriage in heaven is also the same reason why there is no sex in, in heaven. And this is why. Because both marriage and sex are, if you will, signposts which point to something beyond themselves. Now, that's really important to understand that and what that means. Because to be a signpost means, like, think about it, a sign is something which points you to something other than itself. Like, it would be weird if you saw a sign that said, hey, look at this sign. Right? The whole point of a sign is to either tell you something or to point you to or alert you about something else. So to say that marriage is a signpost, I think that's pretty clear if you read through the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. What marriage points to is it points to the kind of relationship that God desires to have with us, and it points to God's actions in love towards us. It also points us to what God desires our actions to be in response to his love, right? So think about that. In an ideal marriage, how marriage is designed to work, there's fidelity, faithfulness, right? There's also intimacy, and there is commitment. There's, there's, all the, there's self-sacrifice, giving one for another. There's also submission that takes place in marriage. All these things are outlined in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul talks about how marriage is a picture of the gospel, 
and even says there, I speak a great mystery, but this is a picture of Christ and the church. Okay, so the point is that marriage, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is clearly depicted as serving the purpose of pointing us to what we call the eschatological hope or the eschaton, the the final event which will take place, which is when God will be joined to his people together forever. And furthermore, until that time, we are his betrothed. We who are faithful in love to Jesus, right? We belong to him. We are his betrothed, which means that uh, we are we our marriage has not yet been consummated, but we are promised to him. And so, furthermore, I would say sex, just like marriage, is also a signpost. And here's what it points to: it points to um, the union and the intimacy that is designed to that is let's put it this way, that God has designed us for, which will be fulfilled when we get to heaven. And so in other words, once you get to heaven, there's no more need for a signpost. Um, In Colossians chapter two, Paul says, these things which came before, they are all but shadows and the substance is in Christ. And so once the substance has come, the shadow is no longer needed, right? Um, And so that's the idea. It, I'll give you one last example, and then I'll leave it at that. You know, if my if I'm traveling a lot, for example, I have a wife and kids. So let's say I'm traveling a lot. Now, my wife and my kids, they have a picture of me. And maybe, you know, at night when they're missing me, which I hope that they do when I'm away, um, and they would pull out that uh, picture and they would think, oh, you know, there's a picture of Nick or a picture of dad. And they would think about me. And so let's imagine that I came walking in the house one day after being away on a long trip and my family just completely ignored me and they were just enamored with this photo, just kissing it, hugging the photo, etc. Well, that would be kind of strange uh, because you don't really need the photo uh, once the substance that the photo points to is there in the room. In other words, uh, all that to say, that is what many things uh, in the world and in the Bible, like Old Testament stuff, point to, their pictures pointing to Jesus. And once the substance is there, the picture will no longer be needed. And here's one interesting thing to think about. As wonderful as sex might be, what that means is that heaven will be that much better. It will be so much better that we none of us will be saying, yeah, it's cool here, but it would be better if I could do that. So thank you for that question. Not a dumb question at all. Thanks for having the courage to write in with it. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air, answering your questions about the Bible and praying for your prayer requests. So the number to call uh, is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to our first caller. We've got Greg in Loveland, Colorado. Hi, Greg. Welcome to the program. How's it going? Going great. What's up? Uh, struggling mentally. Okay. Uh, Satan's been attacking me for the last eight years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I don't know when it's going to end or when it's going to stop. Like I just I don't, I don't understand it. I'm doing everything that's that I'm supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, clean off the drugs. I'm not running the streets no more. Uh, trying to find a job, trying to work as much as possible. It's just like it's never ending, and Satan just keeps attacking my mind and 
I suffer from mental health disease, and I start to believe this crap that Satan tells me, and my life becomes, or my thoughts become my reality. Okay. Yeah, no, that that's a big deal. You know, one of the biggest battlegrounds for spiritual warfare is our minds. And so um, I think that, you know, thinking through some of those passages, reading them over and putting them into practice, like especially Ephesians chapter six that talk about, you know, putting on the helmet of salvation, all these things to protect your mind, then waging war with the word of God, super important. But let's also, let's pray for you. You know, it says, you know, taking up the sword of the spirit and praying in the spirit. And so it's super important to be praying for these things as well. So I appreciate you calling in. Should we pray for you now? Okay, let's go ahead and pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for Greg, and I ask, Lord, that I thank you that he's aware of the fact that he's experiencing spiritual warfare, that he's been under attack. Um, But Lord, I do pray that you would protect him. I pray, Lord, that you would um, guard his heart and his mind. And Lord, I pray that you would help him to recognize your voice as the voice of the Good Shepherd and not to listen to or submit to the voice of another, particularly the enemy. So, Lord, I pray that he would be able to differentiate between your words and the words of the enemy. And, Lord, that he would stand firm in your strength and the strength of your might in that day when the enemy is shooting him with those fiery darts. And so, Lord, we pray for him to have strength. We pray for him to have resolve to walk with you. And, Lord, we pray that as he moves towards you and seeks you, Lord, we pray that you would also um, move towards him and lift him up during this time. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Greg, uh, thanks for calling in and thanks for letting us pray for you. God bless you. Hey, listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Logan in New Mexico. Hi, Logan. Welcome to the program. Hello. What can we do for you? uh... I was just wondering, oh. a better father, a better leader in the home, a better husband, and just one question about it. Sometimes I don't, I don't know why, maybe I'm not doing something. Sometimes I don't feel like the yoke is light, and I don't know why. Am I holding on to something or hmm. am I not giving it all or am I, like, I don't know what's holding me, making me feel like all that weight when I hear so many people say, like, their burdens are lifted and everything's not perfect, but they just feel free and released from all their past and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Logan, I mean, I think let's, let's dig into that a little bit. Like, what is it that you feel um, is a heavy burden for you when it comes to your relationship with God? I know he's real and I know he's the Lord and I know that he died for me, but I don't, know why sometimes I don't feel like 
when I get to heaven, he's going to be, like, disappointed in me. Okay. Like, like, I'm the head of the house, so, like, I didn't lead perfectly mm-hmm. young man. And I, I, sometimes I don't know what to do with all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to um, put you on hold here for a second, Logan, just because... Um, the line's cutting out really bad where you're calling from, but I, I do want to speak in your situation. So I hope that you can still hear me. Um, you know, here's what I would tell you is that I, I want you to really know that if you are in Christ, right, if you are robed in his righteousness, that's one thing that God does indeed call you to be a head of a household, to take responsibility and all of these things, but understand that he does so because in Christ, he accepts you, he loves you, and he is pleased with you. You know, I think about what it says in Romans chapter 8, that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you know what it means to be in Christ Jesus, right? It means to be hidden in him positionally. In other words, when God looks at you, he doesn't see, you know, your faults and failures. Those have been paid for on the cross. What it means is that when God looks at you, he sees you hidden in Christ. And what what does he see when he looks at Jesus? Well, do you remember what the Father said to Jesus in like Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus goes and he gets baptized? It says that a voice spoke from heaven, and it was the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so here's what I would want you to know, Logan. I would want you to know that in Christ, God's primary emotion and feeling towards you is not one of disappointment but it's rather one of love and of pleasure, good pleasure. Now, move, moving along from that, that means that God still calls you to do things, but he calls you to do them from that position of already being more than a conqueror, of being a victor, of having this thing where there's nothing that can separate you from his love and from his good pleasure. Now, of course, it is possible to displease God with your actions, with your thoughts, etc. But the Bible tells us that anytime we do that, like if you look at 1 John chapter 1, right? It says anytime we do that, we can come to God and we can be cleansed of all unrighteousness as we confess our sins to him. And his blood that was shed for us is sufficient to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that would be my encouragement to you. Be quick to confess your sins. Be quick to repent. And then then understand that you truly are forgiven, right? And that as God looks at you, you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ and you are indeed um, forgiven and he's pleased with you. So you can serve him from that position of knowing that he loves you and cares for you, not from a position of burden and guilt where he's wondering why you aren't uh, doing more. You know, I think sometimes we bring a lot of our own personal assumptions and baggage into our relationship with God. And I think that's normal, but it's really important that we don't put things on God that are not uh, things that, that don't need to be put on God. Right. In other words, um, you know, don't assume that he feels about you in a certain way that he does not actually feel about you. So I would encourage you uh, in that way. Now I know that you asked for prayer to be a better husband and leader in your home. So let me pray for you. Uh, in that regard, and then I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, I lift Logan up to you, 
And uh, thank you, Lord, for his desire that he wants to be a better father. He wants to be a better follower of Jesus, a better leader in his home. Lord, I pray you would indeed forgive him for the ways that he's fallen short. But Lord, I pray that you wouldn't let the enemy continue to be the accuser of the brethren in the sense of like holding his past faults over his head in a way that doesn't help him to move forward in walking with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill him with a sense of your good pleasure, Lord, a sense of the fact, a sense of kind of contentment and peace. Uh, take away the anxiety that comes from striving to please you. And Lord, I pray that he would be um, truly content in knowing, Lord, where he stands with you. And I pray that from that position, then he would seek out to you as a beloved child saying, okay, Father, help me to do this thing you've called me to do. Um, I'm committed to doing it for your glory. So Lord, I pray for Logan that you would give him just that, that right understanding where his relationship with you indeed would be uh, freeing rather than burdensome. And I pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks, Logan, for calling in. God bless you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible, as well as your prayer requests. We have pastors standing by every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m., uh, taking those calls, answering your prayer requests, and or sorry, answering your Bible questions, praying for your prayer requests. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Right now we have all open lines, so it's a good time to call in. And the text line, which we're getting a lot of texts today, the text line is 720-336-0897. So that's 720-336-0897. Zero eight nine seven. Well, speaking of that, let's go back to our text line. Someone texted in and asked, "Does God require us to make amends with people before uh, people whom we have offended before coming to Him to confess and ask for forgiveness?" Uh, the answer to that is no. We can go directly to God and we can confess our sins. We can ask God to forgive us before we go to the other person to ask them to forgive us. And I actually think that that's, re- excuse me, that's really important. We should actually do that right away. Like as soon as you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I would encourage you to respond. Respond by confessing and, and just saying, Lord, I realize that I've sinned against you. Forgive me. And now, because I'm forgiven by God, that allows me the courage and the strength to say, okay, now that I know that I've dealt with this before God, now I can go and talk to that other person. But I would say um, that needs to be like the first thing you do is uh, confess your sin to God and humble yourself before him. And actually, that's what gives you the courage to be able to go and face that other person. I'll tell you a quick story about that. I, I have a friend. She was a missionary in Ukraine for a long time. She's now a missionary in Hungary. And, uh, you know, she was telling me a story once about her and her mother, right? They had a really strained, difficult relationship. And part of it was because her mother had done some things when this woman was younger, which had really hurt her. And the thing was, the mother knew that she had failed in a lot of ways as a mom and these sorts of things. And so the the mother, you know, it was always kind of this unspoken thing in their relationship that caused tension and division. And um, one day, you know, and my friend said she would always talk to her mom about her faith and what she was doing as a missionary, etc. She said one day her mom called her and um, she was crying and she said, Hey, I just want you to know, I want you to know that I'm sorry. And I asked that you'd forgive me for the things I did to you when you were younger. And my friend responded and said, mom, I already forgave you. 
And her mom responded to that and said, I know you've already forgiven me. That's actually what gave me the, the courage to say I'm sorry. And I think it works, there's a similar parallel there with how it works with us and God, right? Where we can come to him knowing that our sins are forgiven, but knowing that he is ready to forgive, right? That everything's already been done in order for us to be forgiven, for our sins to be paid for on the cross. That gives us the courage to come to God and say, we're sorry. But then here's the other thing. When we've dealt with our sin before God, then knowing that we're forgiven by our creator, that then gives us the courage to then go before another person and say, hey, I, I realized I sinned against you and I'm so sorry. Furthermore, I would say that building in that practice of confessing our sins to God, it makes us more apt and ready to confess our sins to those whom we've sinned against. So that's my answer for you. Immediately confess your sins to God. Never harden your heart when you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And as you do that, then you'll be prepared and ready to go and confess your sins and make amends with people you've offended. Thanks for a great question. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady, and we are going to be right back in two minutes' time after our mid-show break. Give us a call. We've got all open lines. The number to call, 303-690-3000. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible as well as your prayer requests. And we've got pastors standing by every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. taking those calls, answering your questions, and praying for your prayer requests. So give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Okay, so we've got a few text messages that have come in. We've also got all open lines. So now's a great time to call in if you've been you know, waiting for a time to call in with that question you've had about the Bible or that thing you've always wondered about, or how does the Bible speak to a particular situation? Now would be a great time to do that. We can get you on very quickly. The number again, 303-690-3000. And then our text line, of course, is always open. We've got lots of text messages in the queue for that. The number to text there is 720-336-0897. Let's go to our text line, and we've got one question that came in asking, what does the verse mean when it says not to pray for the sin leading to death? So I've written a little bit about this. If you're ever looking, by the way, I've got a whole catalog of articles uh, that I have written, and many of them are very similar to the kinds of questions that uh, we get here on Calvary Live. In fact, some of them have been inspired by questions that people uh called in with or texted in with to Calvary Live. And I've kind of always thought, you know, it'd be great to um, have a place where I can direct people. So anyway, I've created that catalog. You can find that on my personal website. That is nickkady.org, N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y.org. And there on that website, I do have an article about this exact topic. So there's an article called, What is the Sin Unto Death? And why should we not pray for it? So let me share with you a few thoughts from that article, which is yeah, directly answering your question. So the passage in question there 
is 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. I think it's a passage that many people do, at first reading, have a difficult time understanding because it can seem very odd, right? Like, why would someone... Um, you know, want to, why, why would the Bible tell you not to pray for a certain kind of sin? So here's what the passage says. Let me read it to you and then I'll explain. If someone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin but there is sin that does not lead to death. Okay, so two kinds of sins, right? Sin that leads to death and sin that does not lead to death. And the one that leads to death, it says, don't bother praying for it. So the here's the question. Are we talking about physical death or spiritual death? Depending on how this what this passage is talking about, there will be two different conclusions that we come to. So let's think about the first one. If John is speaking about physical death, in other words, sins that cause physical death, then, in other words, what he's saying is this, not all sins lead to physical death, right? But if you see someone doing something that will hurt them physically, then pray for them. But if someone sins and as a result of their sin, they die, then there is no need to continue praying for that person after they are physically deceased. Now, personally, I find this interpretation, right? The idea that the death being spoken of here is physical death. I find it to be lacking because it does not take into account the broader context of what John has been talking about throughout the letter of 1 John. Now, that's really important. Let me just pause there and say that. Context, if you've ever heard the phrase, context is king. When we read a passage in the Bible and that passage is hard to understand, the first thing to do is zoom out. How does that passage fit into the bigger discussion that's being had in the verses prior to it and the verses after it? Get the context that will oftentimes resolve the issue and help you understand what's being talked about. Now, interpretation number two then would be that this death John is speaking about, right? Sins leading to death or sins not leading to death, that it's actually speaking not about physical death, but about spiritual death. Now, personally, this is the interpretation that I find most convincing uh, because it's a conclusion which is actually based on what John has been saying throughout the letter of First John. So in this way, the sin that does not lead to death, that is like eternal damnation, right? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about spiritual death, eternal death or damnation. In other words, a sin that does not lead to that is any sin that we commit that we are, uh, by God's grace, capable of confessing and repenting from. So uh, there you know, John Piper, he's written on this as well. And he says that uh, in verse 16 of John chapter five, there's an indefinite article in the Greek text. In other words, uh, it is talking about, it's um, talking about sin in general, not a particular sin specifically. So I'm sorry, there is no indefinite article there, right? So it's not saying this sin, it is saying sin in general that leads to death. So in other words, the explanation would go like this. Um, that there are those John has been talking about throughout the letter who are truly born of God. And as a result, they don't go on sinning. But he says, if you, um, you don't keep on sinning, if you're born again, on the other side, you don't ever stop sinning. And so in other words, there are still, you can still be a born again Christian and you will sin. Now, hopefully through the process of sanctification, you're going to be sinning less. But let's say you are a Christian, then you commit a sin. You say, oh no, does that mean that I'm not saved? Well, John's saying, no, no, 
you can still be spiritually alive and still have lapses, if you will, of the flesh where you sin. And that's that's really what this is talking about. So Christians do sin. Not all sin leads to damnation. But right there in the middle, verse 16, near the end of the verse, there's this disclaimer when it says, when I tell you to pray for sinners, I recognize that Jesus taught about the unforgivable sin, which is the rejection of the Holy Spirit. And recognizing that Hebrews, that, that Hebrews taught about Esau, right? So we, we do acknowledge that there is a sin that does lead to death and damnation, which puts you beyond repentance, which is rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, calling you to repentance and turning to Jesus. So in other words, um, that's what this verse is talking about. I hope that makes sense, right? So the first question, are we talking about physical death or spiritual death, I would say we're talking about spiritual death and we're talking about the sin that leads to death being that ultimate uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is rejecting the call of the Holy Spirit to repent and receive Jesus as your Savior. So I hope that makes sense. But again, this is a, a difficult passage for people throughout history, and I hope that that brings a little bit of clarity. Uh, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call, 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Sydney in Alabama. Hi, Sydney. Welcome to the program. Yes, how are you doing, Pastor? I'm doing great. What's up? Uh, well, bless you because I listen to your program you know, may God bless you, whatever. I don't, I don't know how to say that. But anyway, um, I just asked a question. I heard brothers talk about Adam and Eve. I was just um, thinking, do, did God, do you believe God created them as a grown adult? Or there was uh, babies and was taken care by the angels or something? Yeah, so um, I believe that God created them as grown adults. And I think there are implications in that as well for how God might have created the world, right? So in other words, he created Adam and Eve not as uh, babies, but as adults, people to whom he gave jobs, people who could talk, who could make things, who were responsible enough to take care of the garden that he placed them in. And so, um, and, and uh, you know, they were mature adults who were able to have a relationship with one another. So um, I think it's pretty clear in that way that they were adults, and in that that could also mean that there are implications for creation, right? In other words, just as God created Adam and Eve as mature people, he also could have created our world as a mature world. And so I think that that's also, you know, has some important implications for how we think about science and uh, and those types of things. Okay, but I like to. Um, I always have to. Uh, I, I, I need prayer. I always need prayer. Hmm. Yeah. So it, yeah. I need friends so that they um uh what I'm asking for that he leads um he's a, he's a good shepherd that has to lead us towards the kingdom. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'd be happy to pray for you and our listeners as well. Uh, in that regard. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, I pray for Sydney, and I pray for those listening to us, Lord, who need to hear your voice, the voice of the Good Shepherd, leading them in your ways. And so, Lord, I pray for Sydney, and I pray for others, Lord, that we would indeed hear your voice, and we would be able to differentiate it from the voice of another. Um, Lord, help us to know your voice 
as opposed to the voices from our culture, the voices that come from even our own flesh, or the voices of the enemy. Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk in your ways and to hear your voice and be led by you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Sydney, thank you for calling in. God bless you. All right, bye-bye. Hey, listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go back to our text line. We we do have uh, full open lines for our call-in lines. If any of you out there are listening and would like to call in, now would be a great time to do that. But in the meantime, we're going to go back to our call-in line and answer some of the questions that have come in through there. We have one person who writes in and they ask this question, does the Bible allow room or say anything about women being senior pastors or is that office reserved for men? Very interesting question. And uh, I, I've thought a lot about this, done a lot of study on this topic as well in my seminary studies. And um, I think the short answer is this. Now, I wouldn't say that the Bible knows such a thing as senior pastor, right? So it doesn't give us that kind of designation of a person in the Bible, but it does give us certain designations from which we do get the concept of having pastors as well as senior pastors. And uh, the short answer to your question, I do not believe that the Bible uh, gives room for or allows for women to be senior pastors um, I do think that that office is reserved uniquely for men. I think it's designed for men, and it's an honoring God for a design. Um, now, that what that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that women are less skilled. It doesn't mean that they are less valuable or less worthy or less able or capable by any means. I, I would say many times they often are more capable, perhaps. Um, but there is a reason in God's design why he has ordered and structured things in this way. So let me give you a few relevant passages for this. Now, I want to start by going to uh, one of the most, you know, almost like in-your-face passages that speaks on this, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul the Apostle, he's speaking about some things that go on in the church, and he says that he does not permit women to speak in the church— um, and he says to do so is shameful. And so some people read that and they're like, wait a second, so women are not even allowed to speak in church. Well, then what about women who sing in the worship team? What about women who give announcements? What about, does that mean women aren't even allowed to like talk to the people next to them in church? Like, what does that mean? And is that a good thing? Like, is this a case of Paul the Apostle having an opinion and that opinion somehow got into the Bible, but it isn't what God really wanted or thinks? I think when we start getting into that latter part of the question, right, assuming that the parts that we don't like or the parts that rub us the wrong way or seem outmoded, therefore must not have been inspired by God, that's a very slippery slope to get on because essentially what we're saying is that we become then the judge of what should be inspired by God and what's not inspired by God. And um, and so to answer that question, what does Paul mean in that? Well, here's the thing. Does he mean they can never speak in church? It would seem at first glance that perhaps that is what he's saying, but it cannot be what he's saying because if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there's a really interesting passage there where Paul is talking about praying 
and prophesying in the church and the propriety involved in doing so. And there he says to women that if they are married, they should pray with their heads covered. Right? And then he says, you know, if you pray or prophesy in the church, that you should do so with your head covered if you are a married woman, because to do so honors your husband. Okay, so so just think about this. In chapter 14 of First Corinthians, same book, Paul says, women should not speak in the church, for to do so is shameful. But in, you know, three chapters prior to that, he gave rules for how women can speak in the church. And guess what? How are you going to pray or prophesy in the church without speaking? So clearly... Uh, it's not a just like full scale, you know, denial of women's right to speak or profit or, or do anything in the church. Women are actually three chapters earlier in the same letter encouraged to speak in the church in the realm of prayer and prophecy, prayer being speaking to God on behalf of others, prophecy being speaking to others on behalf of God, a message from God. Right. And so, so what does that mean? That's actually public speaking of women in the church there in chapter 11. So what does all this mean? Well, go over back again to first Corinthians chapter 14 and look at the context. Here's the context. The context is judging whether a prophecy given in the church is from God or not from God. And that is the context in which he said, it's not that the women shouldn't speak. Now, here's a linguistic thing that does not come out in English and is really hard to know which word should be translated. In Hebrew or in Hebrew and in Greek and in many modern languages, by the way, for example, Russian, um, the word for, and German, by the way, as well, the word for wife and the word for woman are literally the same word. The only way to differentiate whether you're talking about a woman in general or about someone's wife comes from the context of the sentence. Now, the context there is talking about this. It's saying that they're judging whether or not a prophecy that somebody gave in a church gathering was actually from God. And in that case, he says that, and, and I'm going to say here, what well, the context seems to be saying, this is speaking about a wife speaking up in that context and saying that the wife of a husband should not judge her husband's prophecy because essentially it would be shameful for that wife to say, oh, my husband uh, is presuming to speak on behalf of God and is actually not speaking on behalf of God. And that exactly is what Paul is talking about. Now, when it comes to the office of pastor or overseer or elder, then we go over to 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 2, we have a very important passage. 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul gives uh, behavioral guidelines for both men and women in the church. And here's what he says. He says, starting in verse 12 of chapter 2, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Okay, so, and then he, he ties it in verse 13 to creation having to do with Adam and Eve and having to do with childbearing and the roles in creation. Now, what it, what is that saying? A woman to teach or have exercise or authority over a man. So does this mean a woman can never teach a man anything? Well, clearly that, that can't be the case. I mean, what if a woman is prophesying and in that prophecy, uh, she says something and then there's a man in the room who had never heard that thing before and he just learned something and then she just taught him. Is she breaking the rules? Right. And in other words, also like, okay, can she teach a 12 year old? Can she teach a 13 year old? Can she teach a 14 year old? Like at what point does it begin to break the rules? You see what I'm saying? Like, can a woman uh, teach children who are male? Can they not? So there have to be some guidelines. This can't, the, there is no, 
you know, way to apply this unless like in a strict way, unless we really understand the guidelines. Now, good news. We actually do have the guidelines for what this is talking about. Does this mean just like in general, or does this, what does it mean? Here's what it means. If you go to chapter three, verses one through seven, we have the qualifications for an overseer. Now a pastor is an overseer and an elder in the church, according to these New Testament guidelines. And the answer to the question really is this. Um, clearly, he makes it clear that an elder must be the husband of one wife. Well, you can't be the husband of one wife if you are not a man. And so, therefore, he says elders are men, and therefore, what is the role of elders? Now, catch this. To teach and exercise authority. So, in other words, when Paul says in chapter 2, I do not permit a woman to teach and exercise authority— what he is saying is, I do not permit a woman to have the office of elder or, in other words, pastor, is the way that we tend to use it in our uh, studies today or in our application today. So all that to say, what's being given here is guidelines for elders. So that means that there are realms in which uh, it is permissible for women to teach men various things in the church, but they're not to have that most senior role of elder and pastor. So that's a long explanation, but I think it's worth it because I know this is a, the thing that many people, um, you know, struggle with wondering about and, and things like that. So thanks for that question. Really appreciate uh, the, the question and hopefully we'll get some interesting discussion on that topic. But there, there are basically two views on this. One is called egalitarianism. The other one's called complementarianism. Complementarianism means that um, men and women in the church have complementary but different roles. And egalitarianism means that, that all offices and roles in the church should be available to uh, everyone, regardless of their, their um, sex or gender. And so, uh, now on the one hand, that sounds like a great thing. Like, it sounds like egalitarian would be more positive than uh, complementarian. And yet I would encourage you to see that, like it literally says there in first Timothy one, verse 13, that there's a difference and the difference is from creation. And it has to do with how God made us again, not, uh, speaking of value or capability, but rather speaking of design. So, uh, yeah. And I see that this person who wrote in just wrote back and said, uh, thank you. I appreciate the answer. I understand it is a bit controversial. It is, but uh, I'm glad that we were able to answer it for you on the air and hopefully bring some clarity. So you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today answering your questions about the Bible and life, living the Christian life, and the questions that go along with that. And we're also praying for your prayer requests. So give us a call with your questions about the Bible or how the Bible applies to life at 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Again, back to the text lines. We got a ton of texts in uh, this time. And so, yeah, this next question that was texted in asked this, why was the book of Enoch not included in the Bible? Well, let me pull something up and then I will explain that to you. So the book of Enoch, what is it and should it be in the Bible? Okay, so here's the deal. The book of Enoch is referenced in one place in the Bible, in the book of Jude. Jude chapter one, because Jude only has one chapter, verse 14 and it talks about um, Enoch being a man who prophesied. And he prophesied about certain men who then Jude is referring to. Uh, 
So a lot of people have said, oh, this must be referring to the Book of Enoch. And what is that? Well, the Book of Enoch is what it, we call in theological studies, we call this a pseudograph. Now, here's what a pseudograph is. It's when somebody writes something and they, they kind of like try to play it off as being written by somebody else in order to give it legitimacy. So, for example, if I wanted to, um, you know, make a claim about early American history, and so I, I decided, well, there's nothing out there that really supports my claim. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to fake a document and say that that document was written by George Washington. And then I'll be able to say, well, I just found this document. It's been hidden for all these years. I discovered it. And look, George Washington said exactly what I've been telling you all along. That would be a pseudograph, a fake authorship of a letter. So the book of Enoch is a pseudograph, which means it's a, a something written under the name of Enoch, who, by the way, is a person mentioned in the book of Genesis. He's a person mentioned in Genesis chapter 5. But the reason why him, like why would you pick out this one guy from Genesis, is because Enoch, we know, was a godly man who walked with God and then he was taken up into heaven without dying. One of only two people in the Bible to be taken up to heaven without dying. And it says, you know, he walked with God. And so that's a really important phrase in the book of Genesis that means that somebody was godly and loved God and walked in God's ways. And so uh, there are these books that were written later to, that were like written in the name of Enoch, saying that Enoch wrote these books. And, um, you know, they, they wrote that at that time. So this would be like, Beyond what we call Apocrypha, Apocrypha is books that were kind of like tangential to the Bible, meaning that they weren't necessarily opposed to the biblical writings, but they were never considered to be canonical or biblical by the Jewish people. There's several books like that, and some of you might be familiar with Apocrypha, but this is not even Apocrypha. This is considered to be a pseudograph, and basically all scholars say that it's a pseudograph. Um, much of the contents of it are proven to be um, fallible, right? In other words, it'd be kind of like, again, to go back to, um, you know, the word we use is anachronistic or anachronistic. And what that means is this. So let's go back and say, I wrote this letter from George Washington, right? Kind of tried to play it off as being uh, about that. And so, you know, it'd be like if in my letter to George Washington, I mentioned things like Starbucks and iPhones that didn't exist, back when George Washington lived, and yet I'm writing about them, pretending to be George Washington, and mentioning things that didn't exist at his time. That's called an anachronism. And so the book of Enoch, we know that it wasn't written by Enoch because it contains anachronisms, and it contains things which are uh, fallible historically and which um, don't add anything, you know, theologically. So in other words, why would we need this book? Why should we have this book in the Bible? I think is maybe a better question. Like, okay, here's why it was um, not included in the Bible. I would return and respond by saying, okay, well, tell me, why should it be in the Bible? Like it was never recognized as being inspired by God, neither at the time it was written. It, it was initially always seen as something that was a, basically a fake. Um, and then it contradicts other things historically, and it doesn't add anything theologically. So why should it be in the Bible? That would be a good, another good way of approaching that. 
So, you know, the reason that people bring that stuff up sometimes is to say, they try to say that, you know, there's a conspiracy, there's a nefarious thing going on where people are trying to suppress the truth and uh, they're hiding things from the Bible that would give us a different perspective on God. Um, and that's, that's simply not the truth, uh, especially when it comes to the book of Enoch. Another good example of this would be the Gospel of Thomas. Um, and you know what's interesting? Some of these books like Enoch and Thomas, they're available online. They're what we call open source. So you can go and um, you can read them, right? Like they're, they're available. And I would just, I, anytime anybody comes and says, well, you know, Gospel of Thomas should have been in the Bible. I say, go read it. It's bizarre. And it's like clearly um, very different than the rest of the Bible. And it says things that contradict when it comes to the character of Jesus, et cetera. And it adds nothing to our faith. So um, yeah, I guess I would just challenge in that way too and just say, well, it's not in there for a reason. And those reasons are both historical, um, textual, and practical. So Hope that answers your question, but thank you for uh, texting in and asking. You're listening to Calvary Live. We're coming up right towards the end of our show. Let's see if we have any more uh, text messages that we can answer briefly. Today was a great day for text messages. Um, here's a good one. We have one that says, Hi, I'm of Jewish descent. I celebrate the Sabbath on Saturdays, but I work in a hospital, and one of my coworkers asked me to work for her on a Saturday. I celebrate the Sabbath uh, on Monday. Oh, I celebrate Sabbath on Monday instead. Is that sinful according to the Bible? And this person's name is Lily. So, hey, Lily, thanks for texting in. Um, the answer to your question is, no, that is not sinful. I would point you to some passages like Romans chapter 14 and Colossians chapter 2. Here's what, what we know, and, and also really importantly, Hebrews chapter 4. And here's what Hebrews chapter four and those other passages all tell us. They say, look, if you want to celebrate the Sabbath as unto the Lord, honoring him by taking a day of rest to focus on him and kind of disconnect from the, the busyness and workaholism of our, of our world, that is a great thing. And God bless you. And the Lord is pleased with you for doing so. But also the purpose of the Sabbath is to point us to Jesus in whom we have rest from our works of trying to earn God's um, grace towards us because we have the righteousness of Jesus given to us as a gift. All right, I've got to go. Thank you for listening today. God bless you again. My name is Nick Katie. Check us out. and We'd love to have you join us at Whitefields Community Church. Website is whitefieldschurch.com. I look forward to being with you again on an upcoming Friday soon here on Calvary Live. God bless you and have a great day. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.